The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good Monday morning, everybody. You're watching Squawk Box. Let's get into your headlines. Asian markets hitting a three-week high, following on from gains on Wall Street after the Dow and the S&P 500 rebound to post their best week since November 2020. Beijing reopens malls and subway stations, while Shanghai says it will end almost all restrictions by midweek after two months of lockdowns. Germany's economy minister warns EU resolve over a full Russian oil embargo is, quote, starting to crumble as diplomats fail to strike a deal ahead of today's extraordinary uh, council meeting. Uh, Just Eat Takeaway's plan to sell Grubhub comes under fire as the company reportedly prepares to take a multi-billion dollar write-down of its US business amid a slump in tech valuations. So let's open up on the markets this morning and just remind you of what happened uh, as we went into the end of the trading session on Friday. And of course, it's a Memorial Day holiday in the United States. So we're likely to see relatively thin trading in global markets. But ultimately, what we saw on Friday was just this view that's starting to seep into the markets that actually the terminal rate for the Federal Reserve may not be as high as many had previously speculated. And of course, the arguments for that is we're beginning to see significant deceleration in growth in the global economy. Some markets slowing faster than others, some economies slowing faster than others. But the uh, message ultimately is weaker growth is perceived as good news on the interest rate front. And obviously that helped these markets to a higher close on Friday, with in particular uh, some going bargain hunting in the tech sector as they believe that the Nasdaq perhaps has been oversold on the expectations of higher rates. Let's just flip the uh, the board here and just have a look at uh, how this uh, bakes down over a longer term view. Uh, well, all right, let's have a look at the uh, Treasuries. That um, doesn't help me a huge amount, but at least it gives you an indication of what the yields look like here as we run into the trading session here. And we've come a long way away uh, from that 3% mark here at 2.7%, but the boards look kind of ugly, don't they? And obviously the reason for that is we we don't have trade uh, running into the session today because of the Memorial Day holiday. Uh, Should we have a look at the dollar crosses? The message around the dollar has again been one of where we've seen the dollar beginning to ease back as the market is arguing that that interest rate differential that they anticipated the US would enjoy will not be as great maybe as they previously anticipated. We've got the pound fighting back a little bit here so that puts us back in 126 territory ultimately euro dollar um, one spot uh, 075 here and the market continuing to look at the arguments uh, around parity for these two currencies and a, a quick snapshot on where the dollar is against the Russian ruble as we continue to talk about this 
oil embargo, this energy embargo as far as uh, the EU and Russia is concerned. Do you remember the comments that we got from uh, the Commission President Ursula von der Leyen in my conversation with her at Davos? We are just days away from imposing that energy embargo. Well, those comments perhaps starting to look a little bit optimistic given the messaging that we're starting to see around the likelihood of this EU embargo. So there you go, dollar Russian ruble uh, up um, uh, 3.91% here on the greenback. Let's have a look at the um, the uh, oil and gold story then just to see uh, to what extent the uh, oil markets are benefiting from the um, expectation that maybe we'll see a pickup in activity now that the lockdowns in Shanghai are in the rearview mirror, or at least that's what most are hoping. Uh, the Brent crude quote here, we're $120 a barrel and we're $116 a barrel. And as you can see here, there is upside pressure on the price with spot gold also doing better in this session. The Asian markets have broadly been uh, positive. The um, messaging around the, the lifting of uh, some of these restrictions in Shanghai helping. And of course also talk that um, maybe the picture is easing in Beijing as well here. The 225 in Japan up two and a quarter of 1%. Hong Kong, Shanghai and Australia all a, all a little bit firmer here. And it's a twin track story, isn't it? It's the hope that interest rates are not going to go up as much but also the hope that growth will improve now that the restrictions um, are going to ease in China. Well, that's the plan anyway. Um, US PCE inflation rose by 6.3% on the year in April, the first slowdown in a year and a half. The Fed's favoured measure of inflation also showed core prices moderating with a gain of 4.9%. Now, that is the second straight monthly decline, and it adds some weight to those who are arguing that we've had peak inflation. And I've said it a couple of times during the market wrap here, but just remember that Wall Street is closed for the Memorial Day holiday today. Key market events, though, this week include consumer confidence data on Tuesday and the Beige Book on Wednesday. We'll get the jobs report on Friday with the Dow forecasting a non-farm payroll gain of 325,000. Let's get to Mike Gallagher, Director of Research at Continuum economics. Mike, very good morning to you here. Look, it's obvious, I think, from the way the financial markets are behaving, that one, the markets are beginning to believe that inflation has peaked, and two, the expectation is that growth is slowing to an extent that it will stop the central banks from hiking perhaps as much as previously feared. Is there any flaw with any of that analysis at the moment based on your work? I think, I mean, this is actually our sort of um, central view that ultimately we'll see sort of a soft landing, both for core inflation and consequently also for the economy, because the Fed will be able to stop at two and a half percent. And I think it's important that you emphasize there the uh, the core PCE, which is the uh, the Fed's measure. And, and every month, the last three months has been 0.3, which is um, a lot more controlled than the core CPI. So there, there is some hope for optimism. Um, but I think it's a little bit early yet to, uh, to get too optimistic for two reasons. Firstly, uh, the U.S. inflation problem in, in the labor market um, probably needs some slowing in terms of um, the labor market uh, data as, uh, as well. And I think that's really got to come through 
to actually make the Fed uh, more comfortable. Um, secondly, there is uncertainty about the scale of the slowdown in the, uh, the U.S. It's almost Goldilocks. If, um, it's a, if it's a bit of a slowing to, say, just below 2% growth, um, then that's great. If it's too quick, um, then you risk a harder landing. And some of the, uh, the indicators like the Philly Fed, uh, the Empire State uh, data um, in May um, have been a bit more of a quicker sort of um, slowdown. So um, the market really needs to sort of navigate through this um, set of uh, data. And I think it's data watching really for the next um, couple of weeks until we get to the Fed uh, meeting and the Fed give us renewed forward uh, guidance. Um, so I think that's the, the way that, uh, that we go. So it's, uh, yes, there is some, uh, some hope, but it's probably a little bit too early to get too optimistic. Mike, obviously, we, we, we've got a couple of interesting uh, <clears throat> nuggets on the economy this week. Uh, one will be consumer confidence. The other will be the Beige Book. Um, consumer confidence has been weakening, we know, and, and consumer expectations seem to be increasingly dampened by the higher prices uh, that they're having to pay for energy, shelter and food. Do you think there'll be anything in these numbers that'll be material for our understanding of how the market should operate through the week? I, I think the, the, the data will be sort of uh, of interest, but there's a, there's a little bit of a, a contrast with the, the retail sales figures, which have been a bit more um, resilient and, uh, and robust. And I think you've really got to see um, the actual harder numbers on the consumer side and actually sort of interpret uh, them. We do expect a bit of a slowing of, um, of retail sales and consumer spending as we go forward because the, uh, the savings ratio is uh, pretty, pretty low. Uh, but I think you also need to look at uh, Friday's um, payroll data uh, where there will be sort of a slowing in terms of employment growth. Let's, um, let's talk about emerging because um, normally you'd expect emerging markets to benefit from uh, a weaker dollar. Um, we are beginning to see signs, perhaps, that the dollar's momentum is softening. What do you think that implies for emerging? And is this weakness um, now here to stay? So uh, I think in terms of the dollar uh, weakness, yes, we've actually sort of come too far in terms of uh, the dollar. Um, and the market's been too optimistic on the, uh, the dollar. So I think that there is sort of um, scope for further retracement on a multi-month basis and indeed into uh, 2023. Um, ultimately, I think, um, you know, this can bring um, the, the dollar down against a number of emerging market currencies as, uh, as well. But China's, um, it, you know, still preferring a weaker uh, yuan. And um, uh, there's going to be divergence between, I think, countries with high yields like the Brazilian real uh, Mexican peso versus uh, the Chinese um, yuan. So from a currency perspective, it's different. In terms of EM investing generally, I think the critical story is really sort of uh, the China COVID story. Unfortunately, everything that we know about Omicron is that um, it's very resilient and very difficult to, uh, to completely control. So I think it's a bit too early um, for, uh, for China to, uh, to feel that they've uh, defeated Omicron. I think the risk is that as uh, we see easing of restrictions, we see a bounce back um, at some stage over the summer in terms of Omicron. 
and we go through sort of a cycle of weakness. So we're looking for 4% growth for China for, uh, for this year. Uh, we think it's a bit too early to get um, optimistic on Chinese um, equities because of, uh, of that, um, that story. Let me ask you the broader question then on equities. Have we reached bottom yet, in your opinion, for this cycle? I think we're getting a little bit uh, close. Uh, we've um, penciled in 3,800 as the bottom the S&P 500. Um, you could certainly argue that in terms of um, European and Japanese equities that we're actually pretty close to a bottom because um, valuations are uh, starting to get attractive. And certainly in terms of Japan, you've got to get nothing on monetary policy. And in terms of the ECB, it's likely to be slower than the market expects. Um, so, yes, we're getting, we're getting uh, pretty, pretty close, really. But given the correlations with the U.S. equity market, um, I think we need to see a bottom for the U.S. equity market to spark enthusiasm uh, elsewhere, really, uh, in a meaningful way. Um, so th- that will pan out, but we think it pans out, um, you know, into uh, the summer, late summer, rather than, than now. Mike, it's been a pleasure catching up. Thanks so much for getting up for us. Uh, Mike Gallagher, Director of Thank Research you. at uh, Continuum Economics. And uh, 3,800, there you go. You heard his call on where he's looking for the, uh, the S&P uh, to settle. Um, let's have a look at uh, Wang Yi. This is the Chinese foreign minister who is currently on this uh, Pacific Island tour. He is in Fiji. I think we have a translation. Let's, let's listen in promote people-to-people connectivity. China and Pacific Island countries enjoy long-standing friendship that has grown from strength to strength and should continue to be deepened and strengthened. China will continue to step up exchange and cooperation with Pacific Island countries in education, culture, youth, sports, and media. And we will continue to provide more government scholarships and various training opportunities and support Chinese provinces like Guangdong province in stepping up cooperation with Pacific Island countries. Okay, we're going to pull away from this. Um, It's uh, interesting, but maybe not dynamic television. So we're going to come away from it. Let me just give you a few nuggets here. The Chinese foreign minister has said the visit to Fiji has been highly successful. Uh, The foreign minister has said uh, they will support Fiji in maintaining social stability and national harmony. Uh, They've uh, agreed with Fiji to expand cooperation on a number of fronts to deepen the comprehensive strategic partnership with Pacific nations. And the Chinese foreign minister says will provide assistance to Pacific islands with, quote, no political strings attached. Obviously, there are other countries in this region who are rather nervous about this visit, not least Australia. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this when we get to uh, Sam Vadis, the other side of the break here. But we will leave this for now. Just be aware that the Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi is in Fiji speaking as part of this trip around the Pacific Islands. Still to come on the programme, uh, Shanghai then looking to exit a two-month lockdown as the city's vice-mayor says unreasonable curbs will be removed. We'll have more when we come back.
Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. The authorities in Shanghai are set to lift a host of COVID restrictions starting from June 1st as China's most populous city looks to end a two-month lockdown. The city's vice mayor said, quote, unreasonable curbs would be relaxed. Beijing has also taken some steps to ease measures aimed at eradicating outbreaks, ending work-from-home rules for two districts and reopening some malls and public transport. Um, let's get out to Sam for more on this story. A very curious um, terminology to talk about, quote, unreasonable restrictions, given that the authorities themselves are the ones responsible for imposing these restrictions. So I wonder if this is a little bit of communistic uh, self-criticism, Sam, but obviously the rest of the world welcoming the idea that these COVID lockdowns might be behind us as far as Shanghai is concerned. Good morning to you, Jeff. It certainly adds to the uh, mixed messaging and the confusing communication, you could say, that's been coming out of Shanghai over recent months. But I mean, those residents and those businesses that have been locked down for around eight weeks now, this really couldn't come soon enough. In Shanghai, I'll start with that because, of course, the authorities there are now talking about easing restrictions for businesses starting from June the 1st. That is that this Wednesday really is part of their reopening process. And I mean, what a few weeks it's been for those businesses. Of course, Shanghai is practically been a ghost town for the last two months. And so they're now revising these guidelines for actually getting back to work. Businesses will no longer have to apply to uh, resume work. So that would mark a scrapping of these uh, so-called white lists, which were actually prioritising certain companies to reopening. You had the likes of Tesla, of course, on those lists. But they're also talking about uh, easing some of these restrictions around testing. So uh, you actually will only need to uh, have a negative test for around 72 hours to enter a public space. So really these are being seen as very positive steps in the right direction. But there are still some questions. Of course, as some of these announcements have been still met with a bit of scepticism. As I say, given some of the mixed messaging, there is still questions, as I say, about how they will actually lift the broader lockdown, given that, of course, you do need people to get actually out to these companies in order to do the work. As of the weekend, the authorities did claim that only around 220,000 residents were still largely confined to their homes, while some 22 million were actually able to uh, go out and venture into their communities. But uh, along with this announcement, the authorities have actually introduced uh, 50 policy steps to try to get the economy back on its feet as well. These are largely aimed mostly at these companies, as we have seen in the recent data. The lockdown's taking a huge hit to areas like consumption, production and also the labour market. So uh, they will certainly be trying to ease the financial burden 
burden for some of these companies. As far as the uh, measures are concerned, they include stepping up the issuance and the use of government bonds. They're also encouraging the banks to uh, extend loans to the small to medium-sized enterprises, which we know have been very much hard hit. They're also allowing companies now to push back some of their insurance payments and also their rental payments. And they're also talking about subsidies for these utility bills. They're also talking about speeding up uh, the construction of uh, some real estate uh, projects, or I should say the approvals uh, for them. So they're going to be also uh, on the consumption side of things, handing out these sort of vouchers to these e-commerce platforms and also these big retailers and specifically in the area of tourism, which of course we know has been hard hit and people largely confined to their homes, not able to go out, let alone uh, go and travel. So on the consumption side of things, they're also going to be actually cutting some taxes taxes on the purchases of passenger vehicles uh, to try to encourage people to buy more cars because of course not a single car we've got to remember was actually sold in Shanghai last month so certainly uh, pretty staggering numbers so that's the situation over in Shanghai over in Beijing in the capital things are also starting to ease up as well after uh, what has been around a month of uh, people feeling pretty uneasy uh, up there uh, probably uh, authorities trying to avoid what was a Shanghai style lockdown but we still saw some tough measures up there but we are now seeing uh, that some of the public spaces things like libraries and gyms will be reopened in uh, certain districts these are districts that have not reported uh, cases in around seven days uh, there will still be limits uh, on numbers of people but it's certainly a good start and I believe that uh, you know people have been getting out uh, in the streets in Beijing today as more districts are actually have been encouraged to uh, go out and return back to work we've also seen uh, some of the public transport uh, has also reopened in the capital so that's certainly uh, a good sign as well uh, the big question I think that many are asking is just how sustainable this recovery and this reopening certainly will be uh, in these two huge cities given that you are working with a highly transmissible variant which is Omicron and also officials are highly sensitive to any slightest flare-up in cases and of course we have seen these stimulus measures rolled out uh, perhaps uh, investors are waiting or economists are waiting and people are no doubt waiting for, for more sort of uh, bigger stimulus measures and for them to certainly uh, start to, to bear fruit. Uh, but in the meantime, a lot of economists have certainly been suggesting that perhaps uh, the effect is limited as long as uh, most people are largely confined to their homes. Economists investors have also uh, been uh, raising some concerns about the lack of, a, of an exit strategy. But, uh, you know, as far as the markets are concerned today, certainly that the communication and the announcements we've been getting out of the uh, two major cities in China uh, coming out of this lockdown and, and getting a taste of freedom has certainly uh, seen investors taking some comfort in the relaxation of these measures and also uh, some of these stimulus hopes. Jeff, back to you. Yes, yeah, Sam, hang on. Bear with us a moment. Let's just revisit the performance of Asian markets right now because we generally have higher markets on the back of a lot of what Sam was talking about, this optimism around the reopening. But there is some nervousness. Um, we have uh, Wang Yi, the Chinese foreign minister, on this tour of Pacific Islands. We just showed him speaking in Fiji, where he said uh, China will provide assistance to Pacific Islands with, quote, no political strings attached. And uh, the foreign minister says they've agreed with Fiji to expand cooperation on a number of fronts. Um, Sam, just coming back to you here, um, there are some... Uh, uh, some nerves around this trip, not least in Australia uh, and I think New Zealand, where they're looking at 
what exactly China is hoping to achieve from this tour. Um, what's your sense of uh, the agenda as far as Beijing is concerned? Well, I think, Jeff, there's no secret that China is very much trying to lay the groundwork here to strengthen ties in the region. And we've got to remember that Wang Yi uh, is on a trip to eight countries in 10 days. It's quite the whirlwind. And he is said to be actually looking for a regional deal with some 10 countries, which will cover the areas of cybersecurity, trade and also fisheries. He has already been in the Solomon Islands, and that's important because, of course, that's where they signed that what you could say was quite a controversial security pact, given some of the concerns in places like Australia. He's also been in Kiribati, uh, which is uh, also more focused on the area of trade. I think it's important to note that both these countries recently switched their diplomatic recognition from Taipei to Beijing. Uh, so certainly Wang Yi is looking to capitalise perhaps on the success of some of those visits and going to Fiji with certainly that in mind. He has been hosting uh, this meeting with other ministers and really looking to push through this agreement. Uh, he has said that, uh, as you say, this has been highly successful. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what Fiji has actually agreed to here because some analysts have suggested that perhaps this is a little bit ambitious in scope because there has been certainly some suggestion that some countries might be a little bit uncomfortable or hesitant, uh, certainly with this idea, Jeff, uh, given that they don't want to be caught in the crosshairs between the US and China. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.